This is Kanzenshu, the podcast, episode 391 for the week of November 22nd, 2015, celebrating 10 years of the podcast. Kanzenshu, the podcast, Kai, Dishunen Tokubetsuhen Special. Kai, Kai, yo, Kai, yo, Dareka Kaite Kudasai. Eh? Eh? Daremo Waratemasen Gido. Hello, everyone. Welcome to not episode one, episode 391 of Kanzen Shu, the podcast, an extension of the all encompassing Dragon Ball fan site. What was the name and what now is the name? It was Daizen Shu EX, and now it's Kanzen Shu. That's right. We cover anything and everything Dragon Ball in hopes of enlightening and a little bit of entertaining. Here we are, 391 episodes into the show. It's the two guys that started it all. It's Mike and it's Julian. Sup, dude? Not much, you know. I'm kind of ten years older than I was when we started this well, thing. We all are. Well, you know, we're not all ten years older because some people, I guess, you can't be nine listening to the show now, right? Like, there's no one that young. I hope. Who knows? There could be. Although we've heard from a lot of people that they listen to us in elementary and middle school, and that's horribly frightening to me. I feel so old. (laughs) I wasn't old enough to drink when we started this thing. I know you said that. That's really weird to me, too. And I hadn't studied in Japan yet. And listening back to some of my Japanese in the earliest episodes, I'm sort of like, "Eh, okay, it's not quite there yet. (laughs) Getting closer. You can see where it was going. Yeah. Julian, uh, here we are 10 years later. I figured what better way to celebrate 10 years of the show than uh, let's redo episode one. Great. I'll do some um, long pauses. Oh, God, it was the worst thing ever. (laughs) (laughs) We were all so bad, so bad 10 years ago. And thankfully, my editing skills have improved, too. It doesn't take me uh, three days to edit a podcast. (laughs) Well, that's good. Oh, geez. Well, we're not entirely going to redo the episode. Um, And I was talking with Mary earlier. She she actually suggested to me that maybe we redo a lot of those first like two or three years of episodes, uh, mainly because of audio quality now. Uh, And there's a lot of updates to some of those topics. I don't know. And I'll fully admit that I feel that would come across as, well, here they are. They've run out of things to talk about. I don't think that's true. That's never true. In fact, within the episode itself, I forget what the exact line was, but I said something like, you know, it's 2005 and there's more stuff going on now than even five years ago. And if only we knew at the time in 2005 what the next 10 years was going to bring us, I would never have said something like that. That's crazy to me to think back on that. But uh, in terms of what we're going to redo this episode, I want to briefly revisit what some of those topics were, what some of those news pieces were. I think it puts so many things in perspective. The fact that we can look back 10 years of the podcast, but the website going back to 19 98 as well. The history here is impressive, if I do say so myself. Uh, And then we got just some of our own little reflection to do. So it's going to be a little bit self-congratulatory, self-indulgent, but uh, I think we deserve that every once in a while. Uh, Oh, of course. And it definitely gives uh, at least me a chance to come down after the uh, excitement and uh, a little bit anger of last week's episode. 
<laughs> I heard that. That was that was quite the performance, and I, I agree that it was warranted. It was a, a little bit of 1999 Mike in there, but uh, he, he does rear his head every once in a while. Of course, what would 1999 Mike think? Oh, jeez, I don't know. I I think the best example is something we've already talked about so many times, is that that Mike of that era would never, never in a million years be excited to go see English-dubbed Frieza in a movie theater. I mean, that just would not make any sense. But just all the things that have come out and happened. I want to run through some of those, some of those news items. Julian, one of the things we talked about, this, this is not really a news segment, a topic segment this episode. We're just going to go with the flow here, wherever the episode takes us. That's how we're going to roll. Julian, one of the things we talked about on the way back in November of 2005, Funimation had a movie box set for Dragon Ball, the first TV series, the corresponding uh, movies two through four. So that would be, as they call it, uh, Sleeping Princess in Devil's Castle, uh, Mystical Adventure, and Path to Power. Interestingly enough, all the Dragon Ball, at least those three Dragon Ball movies, all get pretty accurate title translations. Yeah, only those three. Uh, what are some other decent ones? Uh, I always forget about Dragon Ball Z Movie 2. I think Lance uh, the world's strongest. That yeah, that was pretty decent. Guy. Um, yeah. DBZ Movie 12, Fusion Reborn. Okay, yeah. That's pretty good. No Goku and Vegeta, but... But in terms of, <laughs> they're all shortened, but I think that's pretty much it for accurate title translations. Anyway, Julian, back in 2005, we had a box set for those on the way. That wasn't so much interesting in and of itself. Um, something we were talking about during that discussion, though. At that point, Funimation still did not have um, the rights back to distribute Dragon Ball TV episodes 1 through 13 and the first Dragon Ball movie. I'm looking back. Of course, we know now that they re-got those rights and we have the Blue Bricks and all those movies have come back out. So looking back through some of the stories, uh, do you remember the hilarity with Walmart leaking things back in 2009? Uh sound vaguely familiar to you? Um, I remember something about something coming out in at Walmart that either was not officially released or was released and then not released or... I don't even remember. You might be thinking about those best of DVDs that came out uh, a year or two ago. Time flies when you do a podcast like this. So back in 2009, it was uh, early summer or late spring. Walmart started having listings for things popping up on their website, like a Dragon Ball Season 1, a remastered Dragon Ball Season 1. At that time, Funimation just continued to almost deny that something was coming out. Uh, at that point, Kidmark, Trimark, Lionsgate, it all fell under Lionsgate film. Uh, the way that distribution for that first part of the TV series worked out back in 1995 and into 1996, um, when Funimation was still a small company, just like they sublicensed home distribution to Pioneer for the early Dragon Ball Z episodes, Lionsgate had the Dragon Ball TV episodes. We had uh, that Saga of Goku DVD set that came out much later on, but they were VHS releases. There were six volumes plus Curse of the Blood Rubies on uh, VHS. So those home distribution rights were tied up with Lionsgate. Even though Funimation owned the master license, they couldn't actually put anything out on home video because those rights were tied up with someone else. So all this hilarity was happening with Walmart. Eventually, Funimation had to acknowledge, yes, we do actually have these rights back. Dragon Ball Season 1 was coming out. Well, that's right. They were playing coy, but then Walmart just said, yeah, they have it. And then Walmart had the cover art for the DVD set. Like, there was <laughs> no denying it at that point. But it was still another year before Dragon Ball Movie 1 came out from Funimation, looking in the home video guide here. Uh, the Curse of the Blood Rubies, December in 2010. So as of our first podcast episode, it would still be another five years before Dragon Ball Movie 1 got an uncut bilingual home 
album release in North America. That was one of the That's a long time. Bands. That's crazy to me. I know, right? And 2010 feels like forever ago. So going back even further to uh, to that earlier time, I don't remember if I've told this on the podcast. I'm pretty sure I have at some point. But much earlier than that point, I contacted Lionsgate. I got uh, a, a very stern email back from their legal department of all places. I just sent something in to, I think, their marketing department asking, hey, uh, I we know you have the rights to this thing. Uh, does this expire? Does it have an expiration date? Are you working with Funimation to do anything? I wish I could pull up the exact email, but I think it's on a, a long dead contact, Dizentuex address. But the gist of it, this is information that, quote, cannot be used for a website, end quote. That just seemed like the weirdest response to me. Like, maybe no yeah. comment? Like, just say something like that? I don't Cannot know. Cannot be used for a website. What year is it? We have so many more stories like that that one day we will tell on the podcast, but that's kind of what I wanted to share was just placing that first episode in a time when uh, Funimation still didn't have some movies out, and that was super weird. Julian, also not out in November 2005, Dragon Box the Movies. We were talking about it having been announced and still not being out yet. That is weird because it, those came out ages ago. Yeah, it came out in 2006. Wow. I mean, that's the thing where we're putting in time. Some of these things that have been on our shelves for about a decade weren't actually out when we started the podcast. Um, so one of the, the big points of contention at the time was that Dragon Box the movies, as opposed to everything else, was announced as being in widescreen. Uh, so there was that whole discussion and explanation about how the movies were animated four by three, but then were cropped to be shown theatrically, uh, except some of the very first movies, which are actually shown four by three theatrically, and some of the home releases were still four by three and then later re-released in widescreen and then i think there were widescreen for tbc movies four onward in there it's complicated consistency it was super weird but i was very angry about that i mean as angry as i am now it's like that oh <laughs> angry kind of thing or like i'm saying i'm angry but not entirely angry like i was last week on annoyed show. right um and i'm still a little bit annoyed at that it's one of those i know there's extra animation it would be nice to have that full frame even though the intent there always was to have it cross off. Uh, we didn't have the full details on the audio at that point. They did say the audio was going to be remastered, but it was a world of difference because they had the actual audio masters for the movies as opposed to just the, what is it, like the optical versus... The optical audio, yeah. yeah. Dragon Box the movies. I've, I've played a sound clip for, I think it was Dragon Ball Movie 1, Curse of the Blood Rubies. If I can find it, I'm going to toss it in again right now. ふるい昔から語り継がれた伝説がある。古い昔から語り継がれた伝説がある。この世の中には七つのドラゴンボールという玉が散りばめられておりその七つのドラゴンボールを集めて呪文を唱えると戦論。
So that's a comparison from Funimation's release versus Dragon Box and Movies. It is a world of difference. Uh, I think if we knew that was what we had in the store, it probably would have negated my feelings on uh, the, the little extra bit of cropping there. But I say yeah. this all again just to say the final Dragon Box actually wasn't out yet when we started recording the podcast. Also not out yet, and I know that the people listening to this can't see it, but the iPhone that you're holding in your hand. Oh, that's right. We're, I'm on video. That's right. The iPhone wasn't out yet. Smartphones in 2005 were Blackberries. Yeah, actually, when my my first real job out of college when I was working at a bank, I had a BlackBerry. I just found it upstairs. Uh, I remember using that while I was at a GameStop to look up, I think, a backwards compatibility list for original Xbox games on the Xbox 360 because this thing that I'm holding wasn't out yet and it wasn't that easy to do things like that. Wow. Yeah. Also 10 years old, the Xbox 360. That's weird. <laughs> <laughs> um, something interesting I heard during the show. Um, did you have my Dragon Ball GT perfect file books for an extended period of time? I did for like a few years. I don't remember this, but I guess it I think sounds... I finally gave them back. I think when I came back to the U.S. in 2012. Yeah, you, maybe must, early. you must have had them for a long time. It's one of those things where you, you loan out video games, you loan out books, and sometimes you never get them back. So one of the things we were leading up to in the show was uh, the first sparking game or Budokai Tenkaichi had recently been released uh, in Japan and North America. It was a, a close simultaneous release as opposed to the three Budokai games. And uh, one of the topics that would be kind of a recurring thing for some of those early episodes was pronunciation, uh, the root of these words, how they're actually said uh, and kind of what American fans said mangled them into. So let's revisit that right now. Actually, Julian, can you break down now with, an additional 10 years of Japanese under your belt, although mm. I'm pretty sure you could have done this back in 2005. Okay. Uh, Tenkaichi Budokai. Um, how you don't say it is Budikai, Budokai, Tenkaichi. Tenka means under heaven, and it's this Chinese concept of Tiansha, which is under heaven, which is everything you see, which is basically how people in ancient China viewed their country. And then it has Ichi, which is one. So the number one under the heavens or number one in the world. And then Budo Kai. Budo is martial arts. The Bu is... I forget exactly how it breaks down, but <clears throat> one of the key elements is a halberd, and so it represents uh, martial things fighting. And then Do is a way, so it's the way of The way fighting. of the warrior, yeah. The way of the warrior. And then Kai is a meeting or gathering. Well, there's a whole bunch of Kais. Uh, and yes. Jake and I recently talking about kanji and how that transferred over the Japanese. So uh, the, the Kai here would be a completely different kanji from a bunch of different Kais that we yes. have in the series, actually. That's true. So this Kai means a meeting or gathering. So it's like uh, the number one under heaven or number one under number one in the world martial arts meet. And how do you feel about the kind of almost generic translation from Funimation of World's Martial Artist Tournament or World's Martial Arts Tournament? In retrospect, it's not actually too terrible, right? Yeah, it gets the point across. Um, it's a bit bland, lacks a bit of flavor, mm -hmm. but eh, it's it's okay, I guess. The thing that always struck me was it's that uh, American tendency to throw uh, like this weird emphasis 
on a, a mid-syllable, the wrong time on the middle syllable. When it's supposed to be an emphasis, it's not. Uh, yeah. You heard it with Naruto. Yes, or Sakura. Right, right. like that. That always drove me nuts where yeah. Dokai would be the one time where that almost makes sense to say it that way. Yes. And it always gets slurred into Budokai. Yes, it's one of those weird things that the, the, they put the emphasis on the wrong syllable. Now, it must be stressed that Japanese does not have a stress accent. However, it has long and short vowel, vowels, yes. Yeah, the do is an extended. Yes, so it's budokai. And uh, I know in later episodes we talked about kaioken and cyan. I feel like those topics have uh, never truly gone away uh, yeah. over the years, and especially when Funimation got to Dragon Ball Kai itself as a series. Again, a more different Kai, uh, where we finally got a consistent kaioken pronunciation, uh, even though they had started fixing it many years before in video games and, and various things. But cyan uh, is still saying over there but that seems like it's one of those things that's always going to be a holdover they're never going to truly get rid of that uh, i'm yeah. grateful for some of the things we did get like great elder kaioken uh, i think kamehameha is pretty uh, consistently pronounced correctly these days I don't know. There's still those few things that they've decided they're just going to keep. Yeah. Like what Shenron and what else? Saiyan and, uh, oh, a few other. Ah, Korin instead of Karin. I mean, the whole joke is that it's Karin To, which is the puffed snack with flavored with brown sugar. What do you think it was with that character? You think they just didn't want people pronouncing the name Karen? Probably. Um, they might have felt that it sounded too feminine in English because we expect that sort of name to go with a girl. Uh. Call like Catherine or Katie. Or... And gra- granted, the name Karin is actually used for women. Right. It is a Japan. Karin Street Fighter character that will be returning in Street Fighter V. That's pretty exciting. So it it is that possibility, but it still really bugged me because it ruined the pun. And when we say it really bugged us, it's one of those things like we're angry about it, but the anger doesn't actually affect us on a day-to-day basis. I think people still, even after all these years, kind of take that anger and elevate it to levels where we don't actually mean it. I think part of that is our problem as performers in a way on the show here and the way it comes across in our responses. Um, This is a a separate discussion. It's one of those things like, you know us as Dragon Ball fans, so anything that we say about Dragon Ball comes across as like this 100% representation of ourselves. But like everyone else, is a diverse individual. We all have diverse interests as well. Yes. So We have our pet peeves and we have things that bug us when they probably shouldn't. Like this other day, I was reading my kids a picture book and the kids get on a train and they go on a trip that ends up being through time. Really got me is at the beginning, they're clearly at Grand Central Terminal and yet the route they take is through Philadelphia and Pittsburgh, <laughs> which obviously would be out of Penn Station. Right. And maybe maybe the illustrator just thought that Penn was ugly. Penn is not a very exciting place. It used to be a very nice place, but wow. then they tore it down in the 60s. I don't know. The 60s were a crazy time for architecture. It's got low ceilings, bad lighting. The stores are different every time I go. Grand Central is nice and big and well lit. Grand Central was only preserved because they tore down Penn. Well, <laughs> this is the place where you learn about New York City from Konzenji, the podcast. Julian, let's move on. Uh, the last bit of conversation in our first episode, which you pretty much sat out on, we had Lost in Thought, uh, one of our longtime fans and friends of the website. Did a lot of work for us on the forum database in the early days, was instrumental in getting that ported over and converted uh, when we came up with Konzenji, so I appreciate that. We talked about the first Sparking game, which had been out for a little bit. I revisited the first Sparking earlier today, busted out the Japanese 
PS2, got it hooked back up to uh, one of the TVs upstairs. With component- Did it work? Oh, yeah, it worked totally fine. I actually bought my Japanese PS2 off of one of the early uh, con chairs from Anime Next. He was selling it um, with a bunch of the launch titles like Fantavision and the Ridge Racer and I think Street Fighter wow. X3. Budokai 3 had been out in English and it was coming out in Japanese. Remember, at that point, we didn't have bilingual game releases and I loved Budokai 3 and I totally wanted to replay it in Japanese. We didn't know that a Greatest Hits release would be coming. Uh, so that's when I bought my Japanese PS2. And so Sparking was on the horizon, I think, the next year after that. And uh, I'm pretty sure we knew ahead of time that the game was going to have a replacement soundtrack. It also came out earlier in Japan as opposed to the Budokai games, which uh, the international audiences got first. Sparking came out about a a month earlier in Japan. So it was a combination of uh, knowing it was going to have the original Kikuchi music and just being able to play it early. Uh, I imported all all three of the Sparking games. So I was playing it earlier today and over component cables, I'm, I'm sure that helped a bit too. The game holds up visually far better than I thought it did. As I was playing the game and as I was re-listening to the first podcast episode, I mean, you've heard me for years saying how I don't really like the Sparking games. They really haven't done it for me. I was much more kind to that Sparking game on that podcast episode than I ever (laughs) remember myself being. (laughs) Listening, going, who is this person talking about this game? This is all wrong. What happened? (laughs) Well hindsight i suppose yeah yeah i mean maybe it was still new and fresh i remember being really frustrated early on with that game and that frustration did come across more and more as uh, we talked uh, more about the game and its story mode and uh, what its longevity would be what i want to say just now is uh, how i thought the graphics were much better than uh, i thought they would be i feel like they dropped a little bit in the years after that Uh, that was probably just cramming more and more characters in so there's more detail in those earlier character models it was really tough going back to the controls of that game though not only was it their first outing so it was clunking in that respect just after playing Xenoverse um, you know over the last year or so and how tight those controls are how fluid they are how much Dimps learned from all the Spike games and from all their own games going back to that first game holy cow man it was tough it felt slow and very deliberate but not deliberate like missing whiffing punches kind of thing damn you muscle memory it was rough but uh man the music kicks in that such a shame those games had to get replacement soundtracks the first sparking game in uh for its international release actually got recycled music from the budokai series so that was kind of curious but then um sparking neo and sparking meteor so budokai tenkaichi 2 and 3 i'm sorry budokai tenkaichi 2 and 3 (laughs) had all new music composed for them in japan for the international releases and julian i know a couple years ago at this point finally sat you down and had you translate all the japanese credits for the musical scores in those games i i really feel like those games are made by having the original score along with them. Um, And I did eventually pick up uh, the American releases of them. And they just feel like, they feel like foreign games. And I guess that's the point, is that they're foreign versions of those games. They're foreign to me in so many ways, uh, both in a literal sense and just this kind of mindset kind of sense. Very, very weird. Over the years, Julian, you haven't still been much into the Dragon Ball video games. What have you dipped into? I mean, we always point back to get your ass beat in Super DBZ in Japan. Oh, yes. That hadn't happened yet, though. 
Oh, that's true. Yeah, yeah. We'll we'll get to that shortly. Your Japan trips, but uh, what else have you played over the years, if anything? Let's see. What have I played? Uh, did I play anything when I was over at your house? Because that would be the only other time, I think. Yeah, but that's not the same as actually playing the game. I know yeah, we threw Jake no. at the uh, DS and the 3DS games in English and Japanese. So I've looked at them and I've watched other people play them. Never really felt the desire to pick them up. <laughs> that's fine. That's why there's four of us. We all have our different interests and yes. we can talk to him. At that point, Julian, you had not been to Japan yet? No, I had not. And my Japanese, although decent, was not super great. And of course, I was going to Kyoto and that was a shock in itself because they don't speak standard Japanese in Kyoto. <laughs> yeah, you were talking about getting ready to go study over there. So in 2005, I had been out of college for a year. Where were you at uh, in your schooling? I was in my first semester of my junior year. Oh, okay. And so what was your uh, Japanese plan at that point? Did you really have a plan? Well, my plan, such as it was, was to study for half a year in Japan and come back and then uh, go on to grad school. And anyway, that didn't work out. That said, I think the, ways, the way things did work out turned out for the best. I mean, I got to go back to Japan and I spent seven and a half years there the yeah. second time. <laughs> Dude, when was the last time you were actually on the podcast? Was it for the Frieza movie forever? Um, maybe. I mean, I had all this going on and coming back to the U.S. and getting settled in. Oh, yeah. And, if, you know, if people don't know, you are back in the U.S. now. Yes. It took like almost a month for my children to get onto the time zone because, <laughs> and that meant it took me about as long. Yeah. You know, it's one thing when there's, you know, just adults who are getting used to it, but then you have children who, even if they're told to go to bed, say, we're not tired. And I say, no, it's 3 a.m. Please go to sleep. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that was, that was rough. So anyway, lots happened and I am fairly settled in. I do intend to go back to Japan at some point, although I don't know how far off that is currently. I'm applying for grad school and uh, hopefully getting into my first choice find out in a couple more months, I suppose. Life is crazy. It brings you yeah. in uh, many different directions, none of which you thought you'd head in. Oh, yes. And, you know, I'm fluent in Japanese and married with two children, and I've noticed my hairline starting to race here. Yeah, that happens. I don't have the receding. I just have the thinning. So I'm not sure which is better or worse. Let's uh, let's reflect a little bit. In 2005, I had been running, again, the site started in 1998. Julie and I brought you on in 2002 to relaunch, I believe it was January 2003. It's when we did the big relaunch of Daizenshu EX. So in 2005, it had been about three years later after the big relaunch that we decided to start doing the podcast. Podcasting had just been added into iTunes earlier that year. Uh, there weren't really many podcasts at that point. I was really hesitant and uh, not that interested in doing it. I didn't get it at the time. And it took me a, a couple months longer than actually I, I wish it had taken me to get into it. But <laughs> we were looking for a new way to expand the audience, try something new, um, just something fun for us to do rather than just straight up content. Uh, I'm glad that we did because it also helped separate us from Konzentai at the time as Heath was launching the site. So we had something very different from him. We had the forum, we had the podcast, and nah, nah, nah. Yes, we also had them on the podcast. That's true. <laughs> it eventually sort of became like the podcast for both sites. It really did. Um, I, in the forum for them as well, he fully admits, like, why would I 
start a forum. <laughs> just there's no reason to. Um, I'd really want to go back and start seeing when it felt like Konzenshu. Uh, we did all the naming and all the big talking, and we've talked about this a year before we launched, and we worked our asses off over that year. But for a couple of years before then, too, it really felt like we were all just working together anyway. Uh, we've talked about how they would do news stories that we just wouldn't bother because it was already done, and you know the two different home video guides, why would we duplicate all the work? Kind of figured it was all going to merge together again anyway. But let's just put us, our, ourselves back to 2005. Where did you think the podcast was heading that first time that I said, hey, let's just talk over the internet? I mean, we'd already known each other. It wasn't, yeah. weird, it wasn't weird for us to talk to each other, but for us to put our voices out there for other people, I really didn't know what to expect. We didn't know what we were doing. I had a Radio Shack microphone. Your microphone actually didn't sound as bad as I thought it was going to sound. And you sound exactly the same as you did 10 years ago. I'm so angry at you because your voice has been sexy forever. It drives me nuts. <laughs> I have a cold right now. Well, that's funny because it sounded to me like I had the remnants of a cold on uh, the very first podcast episode. I sounded a little bit nasally there. I definitely sounded younger, but I was also using Radio Shack equipment. So I think that kind of brought up my mid and higher range even more so. Now at least I have this expensive mixer that can turn some knobs on and bring up the bass a little bit, fake myself into having a halfway decent voice. Anyway, Julian, where did you think the podcast would go? Was it going to be a thing? Did you have aspirations? for it? Did you think we'd just forget about it? Or did you not really have any thoughts at all? I really had no idea, to be honest. I mean, I was pretty sleep deprived that term because I was trying to fit a year's worth of stuff yeah, you sounded into tired one term. All the time. Yeah. And I kind of overdid it. My memories in terms of both the things that I did and stuff that happened are kind of shoddy. But I do remember the podcast being this fun little thing that was at least an interesting diversion. Yeah, I feel the same way. I really didn't know where it was heading. And we were strictly weekly for the longest period of time. I really wanted to stick to that schedule. And I sunk so much time <laughs> into the show. Mary was very upset for a while. It's like, I'm sorry, I can't talk to you or your family. I got to edit a Dragon Ball talk show for the internet. And I was still doing stuff in Premiere. All I knew was Premiere from doing video editing. So to kind of reconfigure my brain to use audio editing programs didn't happen for a while. Now, I remember a long time ago when we were talking about the history of the podcast, um, as I re-listened to all those early episodes, it started really sounding like the actual show sometime around episode 20, uh, but I didn't upgrade equipment until episode 112, 113, something like that. So there's a long stretch of time with just garbage sounding episodes until I could throw enough money at it to be like, make this audio better, please, <laughs> somehow. Yeah. I, I remember from the early episodes, we had a lot of running jokes. We did. We did. Yeah, I would end each episode with, uh, I think, a song lyric that started with the word I. I don't know what that was about. I was just trying to find some kind of shtick. We had the unicorn yeah. thing early on. I was just going to mention that, yeah. Censoring curses. No, I don't, I don't know why. Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It's just a thing. Uh, what else did we have early on? It was definitely a finding ourselves. Like We knew ourselves, but we didn't know what the show was. I was used to writing online. I had been doing 
doing that for years, but I used the word earlier here. It's almost like a performance where, yes, this is Mike and Julian you're listening to, but we're also putting on a show. So we have to, I have to direct the show and coordinate the show and pull things out of Julian when I hear he's getting tired, but it's still too early in the show. You can't be that tired. We got to still talk for a while. But I have six classes. I know. It's this weird dance. This is, again, this is very self-indulgent and very just us talking about the show. But um, I, I hope people somewhat enjoy. It's been so fun to me. I've met people. I've learned so many things. Yes, running the website and doing articles and research. I learn a lot that way. I learned so much from talking to people at the same time. Talking to people, you just get viewpoints with that emotion behind them. You can have emotion in your writing, but I feel like the emotion in uh, the tone of delivery gets so much more. And that's from the interviews we've done with Steve Simmons we had early on. We had um, Mark guy from manga uk We've done so many cool things over the years and all those people just contribute to i think a, a better world view for me i hope for the listeners uh, have there been any favorite topics that you can think back to over the years oh i always enjoy the language type things yeah, and course. delving into the behind the scenes nature especially as i got better at japanese and i was finally able to read the stuff that I had been collecting, you know, <laughs> right? Yeah, it's like, oh, this is very interesting, writing stuff for the site, especially once we got into Konzenshu and we had a coherent idea of what we wanted that mm-hmm. to be, <clears throat> being able to pull out that kind of stuff, because Akira Toriyama is a very funny, often forgetful, though not as much as he makes himself out to be, and uh, quirky kind of guy who's fun to follow. What do you think being in Japan brought to you and to the podcast and website? I think it brought a sense of perspective more than anything. There's a certain point of view you have as an American fan, as an overseas fan, but being in Japan, getting the sense of the part of the culture that it's become, the respect for the people who were involved with it, and just how big of a name Akira Toriyama was, especially in the early 80s and getting into the Dragon Ball era. It's just really, really interesting. And it's, um, I think it's brought a broader worldview to the podcast and to the site, especially as we started really trading information and uh, opinions with fans from Japan and from around the world even. I feel like I'm interviewing you here because I don't know how else to do things, but that's all right. Well, that's okay. That's okay. <laughs> I mean, I, I agree. It's It's been a big change. And even if the format of the podcast is roughly similar, I think yeah. our, um, our opinions and also our knowledge has matured. And also maybe we've sort of taken a bit more of a, I don't want to use professional, but uh, more responsible attitude towards the things that we say in that we're not just kids spouting off whatever we think. We actually have things to back up our opinions with actual knowledge. I want to jump back to something you were talking about where it was the people behind the show um, that happened to occur when you were in Japan. Do you think it was going to be a natural course of our fandom and the types of people that you and I are where we would want to start learning about the people behind the show rather than just things in the show itself? Um, So to kind of frame that, I think back to when we relaunched Daisenshu EX, the transformation guide was 
was a big thing that we worked on where it was these were the transformations and these were the aspects of them and this is when they happened. But as the years went on, we really turned to learning things about people like Takao Koyama, uh, Kenji Yamamoto, of course, um, all the different <laughs> yes. animators and animation supervisors and producers and all the other composers as well. So do you think that was going to happen anyway? Or do you think um, having you over in Japan and being able to delve into more of the resource materials, even though honestly we had many of them at that point? I don't I don't think I knew it at the time, but I think I would have naturally become more interested in those aspects of the franchise as I got older. However, I think being in Japan provided me a, a unique opportunity to make good on that and actually mm-hmm. examine a lot of um, um, contemporary sources, even from as far back as the early 80s before Dragon Ball was a thing. But just all of these things we never even knew about that's actually quite extensively documented. I mean, there's the guidebooks, yeah, but there's all this stuff and all these interviews over the years that have been given that um, I only really came to know about in the past five years or so, and we have most of them. There's a few holdouts that I'm still trying to find that I don't hold out much hope for, but I'm still searching. Right. We're talking about things that we know exist, but we like to actually purchase and own them. And again, I say I'm looking over at my bookshelf there. I see those ribbon issues and the, the Playboy issues that you sent me. I mean, we've got a lot of stuff here. We bought them for the articles, Mike. We sure did, Julian. There's only, what, like six pages of boobs in them. It's not that exciting. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that was a weird response. Yeah. Like, you got your use out of them. Did you tear up the pages? <laughs> What's happening? No, because otherwise there would be no point in sending it to you. Yeah, I guess so. Wait, what? <laughs> I don't even know what's I, happening. I anymore. transcribed the interviews. <laughs> That's true. Uh, where else do I want to go with this? I guess tell me more about that Japanese perspective. Uh, of course, we've made great friends mm-hmm. over the last couple of years. We mentioned Kay all the time just because he's become such yes. a, a huge part of our community. So why don't you talk to me on Kay's behalf a little bit? Because we've never had yes. him on the show. What do you think we brought to the table that people like Kay, who's thankfully fluent in English, but there are other Japanese fans as well that I know keep tabs on our website, things we report, things that are going on uh, on our forum. What do you think we bring to the table for them? Well, I think we provide a gathering place for fans from a lot of different places who have different perspectives. I mean, there is a huge fandom in Central and South America. There is sizable fandoms throughout Europe and um, even in Asia and um, I want to say Oceania, all those places. And we have a spot where people can sort of gather from around the world and talk about stuff. And we have people who are interested in not just who's stronger than whom, but characterization, production, who's involved with what, all those kinds of things. And that's not something you get on a lot of other places. And I think that naturally attracted um, people even from Japan who are interested in that sort of thing what have you noticed about the japanese fandom itself um does it differ in a lot of ways or is it similar and we just don't know because we're not paying attention well i think um there tends to be people who highly specialize that are really interested in certain things like figure collecting or anything collecting like yeah that's my perspective is when i look at japanese sites they seem to be very dedicated to certain things like there's the one big power level collection site uh there's lots of figure blogs i don't really know of any japanese sites i mean peking ducks blog is it is more collector oriented though isn't it yes i feel like it's very general but it's also collector general 
Yes. I, I feel like in Japan, when you are into something, you are into something and you try to be like the best there is. But very specialized. Yeah. Well, of course, if you broaden your scope too much, it's impossible, right? Yeah. Well, I don't know. That's what we're doing. And I don't know how but... well or poor we've done. <laughs> <laughs> you do have a point. <laughs> Anything and everything, right? Yeah. But yeah, I mean, I feel like people really narrow their focus to certain things that they are really into. And that's not everybody. There are plenty of casual fans who go, hey, I like that. Yeah, yeah. You know, but you've got the gaming fans, you've got the mm, figure yeah, yeah. collectors, you've got the people who do cosplay and they really get into just that and oh, making the yeah. costumes and wearing them to events and that sort of thing. So you have all, all these different aspects that people bring to the table, but they, if you can read their stuff that they really are an invaluable resource in terms of learning about different aspects of the franchise and of the fandom. And of course, there are people who are really, really into the animation who could tell you about all sorts of, well, this person did this cut and this right, person yeah, did this. Yeah. I feel like so, just yeah. hearing about cuts is a, a recent thing that I've learned more and more about is people being oh, yes. able to pick apart even just the precise frames that someone did. And the way that they tell that, even though it may not be documented, is just astounding to me. Yeah, it really is um, incredible the sort of things that we've been able to learn to pick up on through that kind of collaboration through fans of different aspects of the franchise. But they all have a piece of the puzzle. And I think um, by being able to gather in one place, it's been sort of beneficial for everybody to sort of put those together. What's the Televiko thing? Atsumare Goku wa Ludo. It's like Atsumare Kanzenshu World. Exactly. Everyone, everyone come together. Uh, and I want to kind of turn that exact conversation over to the podcast. For me, I mean, you are my friend, but I love listening to you talk about the things that you enjoy and that you know, because I get to hear an expert talk about things. That goes for you, that goes for Heath, that goes for Jake. It goes for pretty much everyone we've had on the show. This is my excuse to gather everyone together. I don't mind admitting that I love listening to our podcast, even though I'm the host and I edit the thing. I've gotten used to hearing my voice at this point, but I love listening to the show because of all of you folks. It's so much fun to me. It's so enjoyable. I learn something new every time we do this show, except when I talk to myself for an extended period of time, like when those one-off episodes where it's just me and maybe I introduce a topic or something, but I love having you guys on, man, like hearts across the internet, Julian. I love you guys. I, I learn something new every time. We love you too. Thank you. Someone, someone has to, please. This poor old Mike. He doesn't do anything. <laughs> Someone please love me. Uh, your perspective on that. You don't have to talk about me. In fact, don't talk about me. Talk about the other people. What, like Heath and... Well, I don't know. Forget those guys. Just anyone else we've had on the show. <laughs> uh, who else have we had on the we've show? Had we've had... Oh, uh, wow. We've had... I guess we've got that chick, Mary. Yeah, we've got Mary. She's been on before, and she knows stuff. We've Who we've had? We've had Team Four Star people like uh, Scott and uh, Masako X and... What's so fun to me is that a lot of those people have been fans for so long. Uh, I occasionally like to embarrass Scott by pointing back to he did a trailer. Uh, I think it was DBC Movie 3 to the movie The One, the Jet Li movie. That was one of the first things that I knew him for back in the AMV days. That was pre-Team Four Star. These people have been around and doing so many things for so long. Uh, I think it's fun to go back and look at the course of fandom for so many different people and see how we kind of started together, then moved away, then all somehow came back together again years later. Yeah, it's, it's funny the way those 
things work. Oh, and we have uh, Chris Kerbifer, who was on our forums for the longest time. He's just uh, a I think, cute little kid. I, I think 15 referred to his age when he signed up or something or like that. that. Username, yeah, something like that. Yeah, <laughs> and yeah, but he's he's done a lot of like professional type stuff. He's an accomplished voice actor these days. I think he's in Disgaea as the main villain, something like that. He's been out That's in the Pokemans. I mean, he's doing stuff. And who yeah, would have thought that we would ever have Chris Abbott speaking on the podcast here? I certainly yeah, wouldn't have weird. imagined that. Yeah, it's it's things change over time, and it's really weird. You know, it's 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 fun think back on the, the, the actual reporting that I was able to do for the site by dint of being in Japan, but I also got to do special stuff that required more than just being in Japan, like through through the help of, um, of course, fellow Japanese fans, like almost going on TV. Well, I guess right. I was on TV you were for on a TV, few yes. seconds. We have a screenshot, yeah. I maintain, I maintain to this day, the only reason you weren't on is because Greg mm-hmm. was already on for the One Piece one, and they didn't want to have the token white guy on again. That's possible. So I'm calling I also think that I made here. a, I think I also made a couple of stupid mistakes yeah, on the written, written test, right. but... Anyway, I think I accidentally said something like town oh, instead town, of ginger, ginger town. town yeah. Yeah. Things like that. But, you know, it's still a lot of fun. I've met the editor in chief of V Jump twice. I don't know if he knows my name, but I know his. <laughs> but you've met him, right. Yes. <laughs> so it's fun. Oh, and, and there's that Greg guy that we just talked about. Yeah. Again, going back so many years, one of the first times that I ever talked to Greg was in the chat room in 1997, him explaining the end of Dragon Ball GT to me. Um, uh, he had been running his site for that year. Maybe it wasn't that I talked to him in 97. Maybe it was 98 and I had just been running my, I don't know. It was real early on. His website was only a year or two old. Mine was barely off the ground, if at all, at that point. And again, look at where everyone is these days. Greg's working for Shueisha. I don't think he ever in a million years <laughs> saw that happening. Just uh, going from this uh, kid with a DBZ website to the, the guy who is the most hardcore One Piece fan ever. His job is like professional cheerleader, isn't it? Well, sort of, but he really does pick up on things that I don't think anybody else else has yeah, noticed he definitely does yeah yeah he, he definitely is very very much pro pro the series and uh he you know he's a very enthusiastic fan and that I, I think he was probably picked up because his enthusiasm is so infectious i mean it was back then with all of our websites I mean, greg and i were very angry in our younger years we certainly had uh the things that got under our skin uh but i think to see where everyone's lives take them i'm so glad that Everyone can uh, still be around and still love Dragon Ball, even if they're involved with other things these days. It's still a part of yeah. everyone's lives. I, I think that's the true testament. This isn't about us. This is about Dragon Ball. Yeah, we're celebrating 10 years of our podcast. But as of our recording, Dragon Ball just turned 31. Dragon Ball is this cultural phenomenon in so many countries. It really means so much to so many people. And we owe so much to Toriyama. I think we owe so much to everything that... Julian, I love that you've been translating over these last couple of years the pre-Dragon Ball stuff. Our lives are the way they are because of things like Toriyama working for that what lingerie company. He he was uh he was an ad company and they just they did all this advertising for different stuff. He the ad lingo for things like lingerie and foundation garments. 
became Ranfan. It, it guided characters. It guided his art style. It was the way that he drew his sound effects. Uh, that was one of the things that got him noticed. So those early things that Toriyama was doing as we were being born <laughs> in the early 80s, uh, he didn't know it, but he was setting the course for his life, but for the lives of so many of us that were just children at that time and that's one of those things it's one of those like you sit and you just stare up at the stars kind of thing i'm having one of those moments now where i'm just thinking about oh my god this guy had no idea what he was about to accomplish well he still has no idea you know, he still has no idea, right? <laughs> well i don't know i just drew these stupid pictures i had no idea what i was doing <laughs> you know right i feel like he's got a better idea lately kind of taking back some of that control Although now with Super, it seems like he's letting go of some of that control that he just took back. I don't know. Man. Well, he doesn't want to get into too much. No, no. Lord forbid. What a whole TV series. No, thank you. He doesn't want to do too much work. I'll accidentally write a script, but any more than that? No, you're asking a bit too much. All right. This went far longer than I expected it to. It, it really turned into us just reminiscing for about an hour. But like last episode, which was cathartic in that anger sort of way, this was cathartic in a... A very sentimental kind of way for me, really thinking about, yeah, what we've accomplished, but it was all the stuff we've learned along the way. I uh, had fun. I really appreciate it. Uh, it's it's weird for me to say that I appreciate the podcast, but I'm kind of distancing myself from the show when I say that. It's not that, oh, I did such a good job with it. I think it's enabled me to do so many cool things, and I'm thankful for, I guess, the technology that's allowed me to do that. I don't know. Yeah. I mean, it, it's fun. I mean, could you imagine being able to talk to somebody halfway around the world without incurring massive, massive charges on your phone bill oh, every I month? Know. Remember like, when we were trying to arrange the time zones across that? And oh, yeah. I was either up too late or you were up too early. It was awful. <laughs> of course, it's not any better now that we're in the same time zone. <laughs> it's really not. It's quarter of 11 right now, and I got to get up early. Tomorrow is Sunday. I have to go actually do some work tomorrow. It's like professional life has changed the timing of everything. It's terrible. Yes, but it's a fun journey. It is. Who it's knows fun. where it's going to end up? Well, we know where it ends up, but it's the, it's the <laughs> yeah. stuff on the way. On the ground? What are That's you saying? <laughs> Okay. Well, who who knows where it's where it's headed, but it's fun. Well, I'll run it into the ground. How about that? I mean, my plan is uh, to just keep on going, not just the podcast, the whole website. I think it means so much to the four of us that do it, and I, I can't imagine my life without Konzenji right now. It, it brings me so much joy. As angry as I get sometimes at other people reporting shit news, you know, Konzenji brings me happiness. So to that, I raise this finished bottle of beer so julian thank you sir it's been a wonderful 10 years i'm gonna have to let you go yes wait you're you're letting me go <laughs> we, we we hadn't discussed this before the podcast unfortunately we cannot afford a sephron's package uh we've never actually made any money and in fact i'm gonna need you to hand in your gun your badge and uh all of your reference materials <laughs> You already have all of them. I do have all of them, don't I? No, what Wait a second. Have? What can I come take? <laughs> oh, Taking dear. your children. There will be my translators. <laughs> Good luck with that. My daughter's <laughs> refusing to speak Japanese. 
All right, let's bring it to a close. Oh, well, she's fluent in English now, though. That's a start. The next step is to get them to be fluent in both at the same time. She's, <laughs> she has been fluent in Japanese and fluent in English. Let's put it that way. All right, so again, I say thank you to Julian, also to Heath and Jake and everyone that's been with us for 10 years. Julian, you get last word. Wrap up the show. Kanzenshu 次回もこれからもずっとお楽しみに。